Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Spring is calling and Target's ready with deals for your outdoor space. Grab miracle Grow Potting Mix on sale at two for $8. Plus get 20% off planters and more. Find spring's best outdoor buys at Target, where low prices and great deals make it easy to save. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday night, July 24th, 2019, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up a series against the Miami Marlins as we are streaming live on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine. And on this episode, we will recap the White Sox series with the Marlins that kicked off a 10-game homestand. And the first game went great as they won 9-1. to And hopefully, we were hoping at the time that it was going to be a good omen for the series, but nope. The White Sox offense could only muster one run in the next two games. Uh, as they end up losing both games. And we'll chat about the lacking offense, but some good came out of this series as Ronaldo Lopez pitched terrifically, giving him three straight good starts after the post-All-Star break. We'll also preview the upcoming four-game series against the Minnesota Twins. The good news, the Twins pitching might be burnt out after facing the Yankees. The bad news, the Twins offense is red hot as they are putting up Monster results again at the plate, so it'll be a tough test for the White Sox pitchers as both Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease will be starting games against the Twins this upcoming weekend. But first, the Chicago White Sox are making a move within the front office. First reported by Mark Gonzalez of the Chicago Tribune, Nick Hostetler, the director of amateur scouting, is being promoted to special assistant to the general manager, as it's been reported that Hosteller will now focus on pro scouting efforts, and someone new will be in charge of the White Sox draft efforts. Joining me to discuss the news is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We've discussed in great lengths since we have been podcasting together, uh, which is now six seasons, that the White Sox 
biggest weakness as an organization is pro scouting. And it seems that will be Nick Hostetler's new focus. What are your thoughts about the shift in focus? I don't know. And it's it's a little tricky when it comes to the White Sox and how they shift their internal uh, candidates and how they um, you know handle promotions or, or shifts in job titles because guys never leave. Uh, James Fegan wrote about it because I, I didn't know exactly how to take it, whether this was um, really searching for something different from amateur scouting or whether it was really what they thought Hostetler could give them on the pro end. Um, and he said that, you know, Doug Lauman, who was the previous scouting director before Hostetler is still around and Kenny Williams is still looking at everybody. So when it comes to the White Sox and how they approach it, like guys never leave and they never, uh, you know, maybe some guys take the steering wheel, but there's always people offering uh, directions or other kind of inputs uh, who have been there for years before. So, yeah, it to me, it seems like, you know, if they fill it internally, um, it doesn't strike me as a big landmark shift in either way, especially since Hostetler's drafts, you know, whether it's his issue or whether it's Chris Getz's uh, uh, domain or whether it's just bad luck with injuries, really haven't yielded a whole lot to the Major League product. So we got a question in our Mixler chat. Again, we are streaming live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. And uh, it's a question from Mr. Topaz. And actually, he had two questions. And what he's asking is, do you guys see Hostetler's promotion, let's just put that in quotation marks, as yet another example of the White Sox trying to solve poor performance by promoting an employee away from his failures, or as a legitimate award based on performance, and following that, do either scenarios make you feel confident in the slightest? It doesn't strike me as, I guess, either. I would say it seems like maybe with the White Sox rebuild yeah, the pure rebuild part of it, where they're just uh, collecting future assets and not really focusing on wins today. And, um, you know, the players that they're acquiring are more players who can help in 2020 and 2021. Um, you know, maybe with that closing, they feel like he could help more on the acquisition and um, for trades you know, or got, you know, dealing uh, players they have for players who have been recently drafted by other teams. Um, you know, maybe that's a part of it. Uh whether that's true or not, or whether you know that's a good use of his skills, I can't say, and and I don't know if anybody can really say, maybe even inside the White Sox organization. But um, yeah, it just seems like you know, given the shift in goals um, that the front office has, and and you know, maybe they think that he's the best set of eyes they have, and they really need to nail a trade or a signing coming up, and maybe that's the best way to use his time. Um, you know, given how you know. They really haven't gotten anything from his drafts. You know, it's not a, uh, I guess it's not a thrilling move or a, a you know, there, there isn't really anything results-wise to endorse that idea that he's the best set of eyes. But, you know, if you, I guess if you handle the uh, player development side completely independent of him and you just consider who they've drafted and, and you know, you, you, you take away the results and maybe like Jake Berger's injury and, and, and other things that can't quite uh, um, be put on his ledger, you know, then maybe there is something to that, but you know, we'll see. It's hard to say with the organization as loyal as the White Sox are exactly, you know, what's merit-based and what's not. Do you think Hosteller has done a good job with the draft? Uh, I would call it neutral. 
Um, I, I think they've made some moves to, especially this this last draft. I think I would have been more critical had they just stuck to the college plan where he had his tropes of drafting everybody from Louisville and everybody named Zach and everybody named Zach who went to Louisville. But when it came to this last year and the White Sox not, you know, having the ability to draft high school players and um, you know not add to the college log jams at certain positions like you know, I mean they did so with first base and Andrew Vaughn but the outfield um, you know they, they did spend more time uh, and resources on prep talent and in an attempt to I think lengthen uh, the internal pipeline even though yeah I guess you can't say the pipeline is quite finished but you know they're at least they're spreading out the timelines and timetables for these prospects to where um, they should, if they do arrive, they'll arrive in a way that uh, you know makes it a rather rather steady stream of it. So, um, yeah, I would call it neutral. Um, enough uh, flexibility and, and variance to where um, it didn't feel like he was limiting the team, but also we just haven't seen results yet. I don't know if enough time has passed to see results, at least in the major leagues. I mean, yeah, the last two drafts. I would say like something like Zach Collins, um, you know, being drafted for his bat and his bat never quite showing up from his first half season. You know, that's one where I wonder, you know, and, and I might consider that maybe a, a demerit on his record. But, you know, for other ones like Jake Berger getting injured, you know, that's not his fault. Um, unless you really think it's because of burger shape and not you know anything that's just random bad luck but otherwise like last two drafts i would say that i would give them a point for just the last two drafts looking different than the drafts that came before because they were, were having a problem with so much college talent getting uh, jammed into certain affiliates any guesses on who will be replacing nick hostetler their internal choices are garrett guest or mike shirley i would say it's probably 75 25 that it's internal right you know based on the way they do it I'm going to put that at 99 to one. To one. <laughs> yeah, Marco Patti's there is like the one example of them you know, going to another organization. Because they didn't have anyone. Yeah, true. Here they've, they've got people. They have a lot of scouts on the amateur side, more than a lot of teams do in Major League Baseball. You may think, well, that's a good thing, right? But as we are learning from some of the best teams in developing and drafting – Unless you are hitting a certain exit velocity or spin rate on pitches, they you don't even show up on radars for certain major league teams. We know for a fact the Houston Astros, as it's been documented in the book The MVP Machine. Uh, so teams are trying to be a little bit more strategic uh, as far as how they are scouting amateur talent. Uh, but I, I think the White Sox ha- will be picking one of these two guys, either Garrett Guest or Mike Shirley, and then continue to move forward with the 2020 Major League Baseball draft as some of that scouting has already began. There was the showcase. I will be writing about it. You'll see that post later this week on SoxMachine.com. That was at Wrigley Field for the Under Armour All-American game. Nine of the top ten prep players were part of that game. So teams are already scouting for the 2020 Major League Baseball draft. So this is an area where Rick Hahn will not want to spend a lot of time uh, trying to find Nick Hosteller's replacement. Uh, but even back, like, Nick Hostler's new role to try to help with pro scouting, you know, his team was also heavily involved in the Chris Sale and Adam Eaton trades. Scouting, especially with the Chris Sale tra- trade, 
spending a lot of time scouting the Boston Red Sox system to pick Michael Kopech and Luis Basabe. Uh, so hopefully some of that success uh, with the trades that Hosteller has been in part of uh, as far as picking out which prospects in return when the White Sox made their big deals uh, could help on the vice versa, finding the best major leaguers via trade or free agency. Because again, this is a pretty big weakness for the Chicago White Sox. And the reason why the 2015 and 2016 buildups uh, didn't do what the team was hoping for. And this is going to be the next step for the White Sox rebuild. If they are serious about moving from rebuilder to contender starting the 2020 season. Now I say that, and after this week, <laughs> so far, after these three games against the Miami Marlins, uh, that window of contention starting seems further and further away, Jim, as the White Sox lose two out of three uh, to the Marlins. Let's start with the good news. Okay, let's try to be as positive as possible. Ronaldo Lopez now has three straight very good starts. Tonight, he threw eight innings. Only allowed four hits, two earned runs, which was off a home run. He struck out 10. He only had one walk. In his last three starts, 21 innings thrown, 13 hits, four earned runs allowed. He's only walked four batters, and he struck out 25. Maybe, Jim, Ronaldo Lopez is a second-half pitcher. Maybe. Um, I, I think in this case, he probably got into some kind of mechanical funk that he couldn't quite... Uh, address and maybe the second half he did time off um, 10 days between starts and and time to reflect and look on video and everything and just step away from it a bit seems like he's gotten some life in his fastball back the movements back the location is better the the slider is still um, you know it's it's a secondary pitch like he's not it doesn't seem like he's going to be somebody who's going to be able to flip his slider usage on a given night and and turn that into his bread and butter but Paired off his fastball and the, and the velocity he had, uh, it's looking more like he did last year, and, and looking more like the kind of pitcher who, you know, could be a number three pitcher. Um, if he's number four in your rotation, I think you're in good shape. Uh, this is a very bad Marlins offense that he's facing, um, you know, with Navan Nova going the distance in the first game and uh, the the bullpen throwing. Uh, you know, three hitless innings in the second game. Uh, it was uh, a lineup right for the picking, but you know given that Lopez has struggled against uh, equally unimpressive lineups earlier in the season. Uh, you can't write it off and, you know, carrying uh, two strong starts before then into it. And, and now he's gone three for three. Uh, it's all positive. And the pitch mix is very interesting. 54 out of his 97 pitches were the fastballs, but 31, according to baseball savant and the stat cast data, 31 sliders, and he got 10 swing strikes out of those sliders. He got a total of 21 swing strikes. He only threw the curveball seven times, and he only threw the changeup five times. We were noticing that the changeup was being thrown more often from Ronaldo Lopez, but it seems tonight, Jim, that he really just stuck with the fastball-slider combo. And with his fastball, his max speed tonight was 99 miles per hour. Yeah, it was a very right-handed lineup that Miami put out there, and and based on how it was working early, the, the 
some wild swings and misses, uh, especially like low and away. Uh, he was getting that early, and James McCann saw nothing to change. And, uh, yeah, with Curtis Granderson being the only guy on the other side of the plate, didn't really have an excuse to throw his change up. Um, and it was all working great for him until the last inning when the slider seemed to flatten out on him a little bit and got away with one, but then he left another one up to Cesar Pueo, and uh, he hit all of it. And, you know, that's all it took because the White Sox couldn't give him any support. Yeah, let's talk about that support because that's the bad news. After scoring nine runs on Monday, and again, it looked like, wow, this is going to be a good omen. The White Sox, after a terrible road trip going 2-8, and eight, they're going to bounce back. They're going to have a really good homestand, and they're going to be more like the team we saw before the All-Star break. Nope. They only scored one run in the last two games against the Miami Marlins. I mean, for a while there, it looked like Caleb Smith on Tuesday on the 10th year anniversary of Mark Burley's perfect game was going to throw a perfect game himself. Uh, and for those that are keeping score at home, the White Sox in the last two weeks are 1-6 against the Marlins and Royals. So let's focus up on what this season is about. Yes, it is a rebuilding season. And yes, the White Sox don't have Eloy Jimenez or Tim Anderson. But I feel, Jim, that there's still enough talent on this 25-man roster to win a series against the Marlins. And I look at this as a bad series loss for the White Sox. Yeah, especially the last two games. Uh, only, you know, I guess suffering a perfect game threat from Caleb Smith, who's a very good pitcher. Uh, he's having a nice season. He's the Marlins' best pitcher. They can pitch a little. Um, Zach um, Gallon came into the start with a pretty good five-inning bursts here and there. You hadn't really gone deep into a game until tonight, but he had the kind of uh, outings where um, you could see an intriguing rookie um, fastball, curveball, yeah, a bunch of different ways to attack. His fastball location was good, so they did pitch well, and they did, uh, you know, make it difficult for the White Sox. But you know, with the White Sox, um, you know, one of Gallon's problems uh, in his first uh, outings was that he walked a lot of guys, and I think 14 over 22 innings. Uh, this is the problem with the White Sox is that they really don't make pitchers work. They rely on their contact and, and the quality of it. Um, in the first game, when they scored nine runs, they struck out ten times and only drew a walk. Uh, it's very dependent on whether they're barreling a ball on in a given night, and when they aren't, they go out down in a hurry. And I think that's really the big challenge for the White Sox in the second half. And and uh, you know when they try to shape a contender in 2020, and is trying to find ways to lengthen the lineup and and lengthen uh, at-bats and, and plate appearances for their guys and make pitchers work a little harder. Yeah, Tim Anderson tonight, by the way, down in Charlotte, uh, was 3-4 for four for the Knights as he was a DH. Tomorrow, Thursday, he's going to be playing in the field, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how long he'll be in Charlotte, but the White Sox really could use Tim Anderson back in the lineup. Even though Ryan Goings is one of the guys that's actually swinging the bat better uh, than some others. Yeah, Team uh. Goings. <laughs> yeah, but where's A.J. Reed? Where's that support for A.J. Reed? I, I feel like A.J. Reed's not going to stick around uh very long at least uh fans on twitter are not big fans of aj reed yeah i think you can move going to second base though uh, but for the white Sox here again they are 45 and 54 as they move ahead to a four-game series against the american league central leading minnesota twins before we preview that game a quick word from our sponsor seat geek as we are definitely Almost at the 100 game mark of the season, baseball season is well underway. Uh, there's no better place to get your tickets 
than on SeatGeek. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the tickets you are looking for for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. Speaking of being there in person, SeatGeek asked baseball fans from all 30 teams all across the country which stadiums have the best experience. From the food to the traffic, they ranked it all. And if you want to know where the White Sox rank or wherever any team ranks uh, out of the top 30 for Major League Baseball, you can check out the rankings at SeatGeek.com slash Stadium Guide to see what fans had to say about the stadium. So again, that's SeatGeek.com slash Stadium Guides. But whether you're ranked high or low as far as whatever stadium you're visiting, make sure to get the game this season with SeatGeek. And to help you even get more savings on tickets, our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOCKSMACHINE. That's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. And again, the Chicago White Sox will be playing against the Minnesota Twins for four games this weekend. And as we are streaming this live on Mixler.com slash SoxMachine, uh, Edwin Encarnacion just hit a home run in the ninth inning. So the Yankees are now leading 10-7. to Every game between the Yankees and Twins has been a barn burner of a baseball game. Uh, the night before on Tuesday, one of the best games all season as the Yankees won that one 14-12. to uh, So again, as we mentioned in the intro, the good news, the Minnesota Twins pitching has just been non-existent. They may be burnt out for this four-game series. The bad news is, is that the Twins offense is hitting. So depending on how that ninth inning goes, the Twins are either going to be 61-40 and on the season or 62-39. and And that means that the last 10 games, though, they have been struggling. They're either going to be 3-7 and or 4-6 and in their last 10. And they're, right now it looks like they're only going to be two games ahead of the Cleveland Indians for first place. If you remember back in May when we thought the Indians were dead because the White Sox were beating up on them and they were more than 10 games behind the Minnesota Twins, the Indians have been playing good enough baseball and the Twins are starting to fade a little bit. So Cleveland is making this interesting. In the American League Central. Your pitching probables for this series. Starting on Thursday and Friday. These are 7.10 p.m. Central Time starts. Your premier pitching matchup for this weekend is going to be Thursday night. Tomorrow. It is Jose Barrios for the Minnesota Twins against Lucas Giolito. On Friday, it's Michael Pineda for the Twins against Dylan Cease. This is going to be a big time test for the rookie. On Saturday, it's Martin Perez for the Twins against Yvonne Nova. Nova, we didn't even talk about in the Marlins series, pitched a complete game on Monday, his first in a couple of years as he looked pretty good against the Marlins lineup. And then on Sunday, maybe future Chicago White Sox starting pitcher. I I can't say that without a straight face. But Kyle Gibson for the Twins is going up against Dylan Covey. With the way that the Twins are hitting, it will be key for Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease and Yvonne Nova to have their A game, or this series could be quite ugly for the White Sox, Jim. Uh, You don't count Dylan Covey in having his A game? Well, (sighs) Dylan Covey. I mean, he looked good for three innings. 
on yeah. Tuesday. Yep. I mean, that's basically the opener discussion all over again. But, uh, yeah, I think <laughs> when it comes to the Twins, um, it would be nice to kick them while they're down and then get some runs because they, you know, Yankees have really tough offense and you can't expect what the, <laughs> I guess, what the Yankees have done to the Twins. Expect the White Sox to do the same thing. But they are running on fumes a little bit and uh, they are looking for help at the deadline and, uh, you know, maybe they'll use this as a way to see if they can regroup and see what their true talent level really is against, you know, I guess more or less of the American League. But uh, should the White Sox figure it out the way they couldn't figure it out against the Marlins? Um, you know, you could see them sweat a little bit. So it's just really hard when you watch this White Sox offense, um, you know, just seeing where the good at bats come from, like at the bottom of the order. And like, you know, when you talk about Ryan Goins and, and you know, maybe – He's better at second base when Anderson comes back. Just, to, you know, his bats are decent. You know, he's, he's seeing a lot of pitches. He's driving the ball all right, especially, you know, as a left-handed hitter. Yolmer Sanchez has really been weak as a left-handed hitter, so maybe that's one way to get an extra bat in there, which is really funny when you look at, you know, Goins as a, as a guy who brings a bat to the lineup. That really hasn't been said about him, but it's going to be tough. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that Giolito shows what he did his last time out and uh, it, see if he can just get past that one bad inning. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really remarkable how that's plagued him so far, but it's possible that he can, uh, uh, you know, show up against uh, the Twins, uh, given his stuff and given how good he looked against the Rays in the other four innings he threw. But uh, it, I imagine it's going to be tough, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I went to the game on, on Monday because that might be the only uh, really enjoyable game they've had. <laughs> At least for this week. I mean, after this series, the... There's a off day on Monday, and then the New York Mets come in uh, right up to the trade deadline, and maybe the Mets will be active as far as selling goes. But, you know, for Thursday's game, again, this is Barrios against Lucas Giolito. The White Sox have had some success against Jose Barrios this season. Typically, in past years, Jose Barrios has owned the White Sox, but with the way that the offense currently has been hitting, I mean, there's not a lot of confidence going into this game that the White Sox are going to put up a lot of runs against someone that has had a great deal of success and someone as good as Jose Barreos. So for Lucas Giolito, I mean, this is a test that he's really going to have to try to keep this red-hot Twins lineup. And I know that they're having a tough time against the Yankees, but this Twins lineup again, Jim, is hitting, and I feel like this is going to be a good test to see if Lucas Giolito is back to more his form that we saw in May and early June. Yeah, that would be, uh, and and even then, like, you know, Giolito, given how well he pitched in the first half, and you'd really like to see him be the Chris Sale replacement they, they've, um, you know, they, they lost when they traded him. But if you can just find, like, a middle ground, you know, and, and be able to stabilize and be somebody with, like, an ERA in the, in the low threes, you know, between three and three and a half, that would be such a major victory over what he was last season. So I, I think he might have, you know, when he made the All-Star team and looked, you know, went on that, that amazing run in May into June that it looked like a uh, really incredible uh, development. And I think, you know, maybe there's some regression setting in, but... Uh, it's it's a test. I, I think that, um, you know, giving him the back... Uh, I guess back end of the rotation coming out of the all-star break to give him some rest was a good idea. And uh, I think he can use probably more of that as he gets into the second half, just uh, holding off the fatigue that's going to set in from, you know, the, this uh, new high workload he's on pace for and the new like in start workload that he's doing like regularly uh, six, seven, eight innings in his starts. Um, That's another thing too. I'm watching as he goes in the second half. And as we are again, streaming this on July 24th, we are just a week away 
from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, which is going to be next week at this time on July 31st. Who knows, Jim? Maybe the Twins make a move during this weekend and they have a new face that will be joining their 25-man roster. But as I mentioned, the Twins are they're still having a great season. And they're still putting up a lot of runs. And they're still projected to win the American League Central. But back in May, we thought, wow, the Twins are really a surprise team here. They're going to run away with the American League Central. And now they're biting their fingernails because here come the Cleveland Indians, now within two games of the Minnesota Twins for first place in the American League Central. What kind of move do you see the Twins making, if any move, within the next week to try to improve their odds and make it the postseason? Well, it seems like they need pitching. Uh, they could probably use another starter, and they could definitely use some bullpen help. Uh, yeah, they got they had a pretty good run with Blake Parker in the closer role is kind of a um, uh, a an unusual closer, not the typical power arm with strikeouts, but somebody who gets grounders and weak contact. And yeah, you know, they've run into snags a little bit with that, and, and had to deviate away from their you know, previous plan of handling the late innings. And they could probably use a you know, reliever at some point. I was thinking, you know, when you mentioned that they could be making a deal at some point, I wondered if Alex Colomay just might go from one dugout to the other. I don't think that'll, you know, that'll be the solution for them. I think they might aim higher. They have the farm system, I think, to trade, um, you know, and, and add a little bit more upside to their bullpen or their rotation. But it seems like pitching help of some kind because, you know, as you mentioned, they're scoring a ton of runs. They've outscored the Indians by 100 runs. But uh, the, the run differential that they had, uh, that was one time the league's best, is starting to narrow a little bit. Um, and, and the runs are starting to creep up, the runs they've allowed. Uh, the Indians are still pitching really well. Shane Bieber threw a gem tonight. Uh, Trevor Bauer probably isn't going anywhere so if they can add you know one more starter and one high leverage arm in the bullpen that could do enough to uh, keep them at bay but yeah it's weird when looking at the central um i normally wouldn't root for the twins but given just how an uninspiring an offseason the indians had and how little they tried to do to win the central if they somehow you know overcame a 10 game deficit and still ended up in first place that would be really i think dispiriting just for the whole purpose of following teams in the offseason and wanting them to improve and actually try to get better yeah according to fangraphs that just updated their top 100 list and now have a new way of ranking farm systems the minnesota twins have the fourth best system according to fangraphs in Major League Baseball, where the Chicago White Sox are ranked ninth now with the graduation of Eloy Jimenez off the list. Obviously, that's a big prospect to not be part of the prospect rankings anymore for the Chicago White Sox. So, yeah, the Twins have prospect up to go and get someone big. But, you know, we look out west, Jim, to San Francisco, and I don't know what the Giants are going to do. I mean, are they going to move Madison Bumgarner? I feel like Madison Bumgarner to the Minnesota Twins would be like the ideal move for the Twins to have that type of ace. If you still want to consider Madison Bumgarner an ace, I don't know if he pitches necessarily like an ace at times, but he has the postseason pedigree that the Twins will really need, especially as they prepare themselves to have a series either against the New York Yankees or the Houston Astros in the first round. Yeah, the Giants are one of the weird teams, and I think a lot of the league is waiting to see what they do because they have bullpen arms to deal. They have Madison Bumgarner to deal. Uh, there's not a whole lot of pitching help to be found, but Bumgarner would be one of them. 
uh, you know, when you look at their hot streak, it seems unsustainable, and you know they're being outscored by a lot of runs, and this you know, nobody expected this uh, hot streak to happen where they'd actually get over 500 and be uh, teasing the wild card to begin with. So you can just see them having a bad week, dropping back out, and if they don't trade Baumgartner before that time, it'll look like a major lost opportunity. On the other hand, you know it is the it is Bruce Boshi's last season with the Giants, and uh, they do they, you know, they they've avoided selling off uh, you know bigger and before and they've they've tried to compete with veterans and try not to overextend themselves to compete and it seems you know kind of i guess in their mo to try to maximize their last opportunity with bochi and bumgarner in this core so uh, it, it's hard to say I, I would kind of bet against them trading bumgarner if i think if they do trade him it'll be because they had a bad week and they really you know, looked at the math looked at their roster and said like there's no chance that we can close this last three game gap over uh, three or four teams. So that I think this is really a, a key week for them because I think they can, you know, Bumgarner is good enough. And uh, I think teams will be lining up for him. And I imagine there will be deals in place should the, should the Giants want to pull a trigger on it. Now we'll see if the White Sox make any moves this weekend. And there are faces that are leaving the 25-man roster. And Godspeed, Tim Anderson and Aloy Jimenez because the White Sox offense uh, really needs both of those hitters back in the lineup and helping out trying to score some more runs. So we'll see how this four-game series goes between the White Sox and the Minnesota Twins this weekend. We'll be recapping that this series on the Sox Machine podcast. that will be released on this upcoming Monday that you'll be able to listen to. Uh, so hopefully the White Sox play really well this weekend and give us a reason uh, to be happy <laughs> on Monday. Because uh, if not, and they don't play well, then will we play buy, sell, and hold? Uh, I'm expecting a lot of people suggesting that the White Sox should sell, and uh, we could take a look at who is worth selling or moving for the White Sox and what they possibly could get back in a trade. So we'll see how this weekend goes. But again, we'll be recapping the Twin Sox series on Monday. And that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to all those that listen to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, you could always listen to the recordings and the podcast feed the very next day at uh, that you could subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.